Today, um, I am finishing a series that I started on Mother's Day. It's only a two-part series called Fighting for Your Family. And uh, today is part two of that series here on Father's Day. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel produced the following article called Spending Gap, Mother's Day versus Father's Day. Who gets the most attention on their special day, moms or dads? Here's a breakdown on the stats for Mother's Day and Father's Day spending. I wanna show these to you. First of all, the number of people who celebrate Mother's Day is 84.5% of the people. Number of people celebrating Father's Day, 76.1%. Sorry about that, dads. Um, Overall spending on Mother's Day, $19.9 billion. Overall spending on Father's Day, $12.5 billion. The average spending per person in the U.S. for Mother's Day is $162.94. The average spending on Father's Day is $113.80. Just as a quick side note, I don't know who posted. I saw somebody post on social media just in the last couple of days. They said that that their wife took them to uh, the store and just allowed them to read all of the lovely cards, the greeting cards for Father's Day. And then they went home. They didn't have to buy them a $7 card. And so I think that is an excellent way, an excellent way to steward your funds. All right. That's, that's a great, I saw that and I chuckled and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna start doing that. That's a great idea. Because you throw the cards away anyways, right? I mean, most people do. Some of you save them. Um, but if you throw them away, that's a great budget saver, all right? That's free. That was free for all of you uh, individuals today. People, uh, number seven, people who give a card to mom, 81.3%. And people who give a card to dad, here it is, 64.1%. So the clear winner, obviously, is mom. Although dads come out ahead in at least one category, 43% of dads will get an apparel gift compared to 33% of moms. And you love it, all right? You love the apparel gift. I don't know if Frank is still in here, but Frank's walking around with an apparel gift today, a T-shirt that he got for Father's Day that he is wearing with pride. And so we are uh, thankful that. So, so dads, enjoy that apparel gift. Enjoy that tie. Enjoy that shirt, whatever it may be. But dads, we honor you. We appreciate you. And we bless you. But I wanted to... S- kind of go back to where we were at on Mother's Day, and I'm gonna walk through this quickly this morning. In this world, there are a lot of things that we can fight for. We can fight for our voice to be heard. We can fight for our basic rights as human beings. We can fight for the price of eggs to come down, and that might be a worthy fight. We can fight for our plans to succeed. But my recommendation to us all is to engage in one of the most important fights that we will ever face. And that is a fight that is worth our attention, our investment, and our time. It is the fight for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren, and for the home. We talked about on Mother's Day how this fight for our family has eternal consequences. Eternal souls are at risk, and that's why this is a fight that is worth fighting. This fight is necessary because the family today is under serious attack. 
On Mother's Day, I outlined briefly really the sad state of the home in America. And I'm gonna give you some of these stats again, not to bore you, not to overwhelm you. I'm gonna give them to you quickly, but I wanna paint a picture of where the home in America is today so you understand the seriousness of this fight that we are called to engage in. Kenda Creasy-Dean in her national analysis of the spiritual state of teenagers called almost Christian noted the following alarming statistics. 70 to 80% of teenagers walk away from their faith after high school. 95% of church-going teenagers on average don't open their Bibles outside of church. 57% of church-going 18 to 28-year-olds read their Bibles less than three times per year. And only one out of 10 church-going families even open their Bible up at home. Dr. Del Tackett, writing for Dr. James Dobson Family Institute on February 9th, 2022, highlights some of the ways the traditional godly family is under attack. Number one, movies and television, music and media all present sex outside of marriage as the preferred norm, while in many cases the traditional family is cast in a negative light or not cast at all. Pornography is now mainstream. 90% of young men in the U.S. watch porn videos regularly. The top 15 websites accessed in the world, three are porn sites. Families are torn apart and destroyed by various addictions, drugs and alcohol and other sexual addictions. Human sexuality is being perverted and misrepresented. Homosexuality, bisexuality, trans sexuality, pansexuality are all presented to us and to our children as normal and desirable. The results of this attack are overwhelming And honestly, they are frightening, especially as a parent with young children. These are things that that should stir some concern in us when we evaluate where humanity is and where our culture is today. Children are struggling to find a sense of identity because they are being bombarded with chaotic and confusing lies from all fronts. A suicide is actually the number four leading cause of death among young people. Stability and safety are hard to find in many homes today, leading, children, leading to children engaging in activities that bring harm to their bodies or harm to others. The reality is no one knows the truth today because our culture has watered down truth or simply neglected God's word altogether, which is truth. And here's the alarming reality that we face today. Children, or really humanity in general, we are being discipled by something or someone. And unfortunately, in many cases, that something is media or social media or television or YouTube, whatever it may be, something or someone outside of Scripture, in many cases, is what is discipling our homes Now, here's the thing. I don't want to leave you with that, and we have a lot of good things we're going to talk about today, but none of these statements, and hear me out, none of these statements are meant to be condemning in nature, but simply pointing to the reality that we are dealing with in our culture today. Some of you have likely experienced firsthand some of these ramifications. We live in a fallen world where sin is present and where Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants nothing more than to destroy and bring confusion and chaos into our homes. But here's the reality as well. 
God is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness who always is working to restore and bring healing where there is brokenness and hurts. Even if this has been our reality, this was never God's intent from the beginning. So we, the church, must work to fight for what matters. Our families matter. The home matters. Our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, and our nephews, they matter. Because eternal souls are at stake, they matter. Now, here's what I don't want you to forget this morning. Do not forget that our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against an entire demonic force. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This fight must be fought on two specific fronts the home and the church. And each front, the home and the church, requires for us a very specific battle plan. Here's the reality. None of us would go into a battle. None of us would go to war without a very clear battle plan. What are we trying to accomplish? What are our action steps? What do we need to do next? We need a plan. We need a battle plan. And the same is true when we are engaging in this fight for our children, for our homes, for our grandchildren, for our nieces and our nephews. Church, we need a battle plan to fight against this enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy our home. On Mother's Day, we talked about the family battle plan. But today I wanna talk more specifically to all of us, not just the fathers, not just the mothers, not just to uncles and aunts. I wanna talk to us as a whole church what our responsibility is. What is our role in this fight? And what do the scriptures call us as a church to do? Now here's the reality. The call I believe is pretty clear in scripture. It's not going to be rocket science. We don't have to be well-equipped or well-resourced. We don't, we don't have to have all the knowledge. We don't have to have 25 years of experience under our belt before we can engage in this battle. The reality is the call is clear. The call is rather simple, but it's gonna require a commitment on our part as individuals, but also as a church. But remember, this fight is worth it, and it is absolutely necessary because eternity is at stake. I wanna take you to Paul's letter in Timothy. We're gonna to get to this in just a moment. And you may seem like that's a rather odd place to go, but you'll see here in a few moments what scripture will challenge us to do. But let me say a few things about 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Paul actually writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. And Paul writes a letter, two letters actually, to Timothy, a young pastor in need of encouragement and direction. And I believe from this letter, we will find that there are some practical insights into how we as a church can engage in this battle for our home, homes and for our families. Let me just say a few things about Paul and Timothy. Paul actually left Timothy. So Paul and Timothy, they were, they were traveling companions on one of the missionary journeys. And at one point, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus 
to shepherd a newly formed congregation. And so Paul was more of a traveling evangelist. He was going from place to place and he would help launch a church, but then he would leave somebody there to to pastor the church, to shepherd the church. And so Timothy was one of those shepherds, one of those pastors. So Paul said to Timothy, I want you to stay here in Ephesus. I want you to remain here for a while and I want you to be this pastor of this congregation, but I'm gonna give you some instructions. I'm gonna help you in this process. So Paul left Timothy with some very concrete instructions when it came to shepherding those underneath his care. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Though not all of us in this room are pastors, as a church, we have a responsibility to represent Christ well, to fight for truth, and to engage in battles that involve the eternal souls of our children and grandchildren. This is not a battle that is supposed to be fought just by the pastor or just by somebody that is in church leadership. This is a battle that we as a church, as a body, must engage in if we want to win this fight for our children, our grandchildren, and our homes. So let's hear what Paul had to say to Timothy, and there's some very important things that I believe will speak to us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, it'll also be up on the screen. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse number 11. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 11. Again, it'll also be up on the screen. But listen to these words of Paul. Again, Paul is writing to, to Timothy. Timothy was left behind to shepherd this newly formed congregation. And so Paul wants to encourage this young pastor. He's gonna give him some words of wisdom and he's gonna give him some directions in terms of how to, how to go about shepherding this new flock. And so listen to what Paul says to Timothy, beginning in verse number 11. He says, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say in the, in the way you live, in your love, and in your faith, and in your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live, and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of all of those who hear. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word still speaks to us today. Lord, as we spend the remainder of our time, the next few moments together unpacking these commands, these words of scripture, I pray that you would captivate every person's attention in this room today. Lord, help us to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, Lord, to engage in this battle, a battle that is absolutely worth our investment and our time because we are fighting for the eternal souls of our children and our grandchildren and our homes. There's anything that is worth fighting for, it is this. Lord, give us wisdom, give us insights, and allow your word to give us direction on how to engage in this battle as a church. Holy Spirit, help me to speak your word clearly with boldness, with passion. God, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's the question that I want us to answer just for a few moments this morning. What then is our role as a church in this fight 
for our families. On Mother's Day, we talked about our role as parents and grandparents in the home, but what is our role as a church in this fight for our families? There's five things that I wanna share with you real quickly this morning. Number one, we need to commit ourselves to teaching the truth and nothing but the truth. Listen to what Paul says again to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.11, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. What things or, or what truth are we to be teaching our children, our grandchildren, and those that we know in our sphere of influence? I want you to understand this about truth. First of all, truth is not, not subjective regardless of what the world says. Truth is not fluid and changing depending on our circumstances. There's a lot of people that say, well, whatever is true for you can be true, but, but what's true for you over here may, may be different. But the reality is truth is not subjective. It is not fluid. It is not always changing based on our circumstances. If that were the case, truth would be all over the place. Because the reality is you may have walked in here, you know, depressed and discouraged, and maybe now you're joyful. And when you go outside, you might be hot and overwhelmed or whatever it may be. And so if truth were based on how we were feeling, then truth would be like a roller coaster, right? So truth is not subjective. It's not fluid, but it is objective. And truth can be known despite what the culture says. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also said, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is what? Is truth. And so we can know truth because if Jesus is truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, guess what? You and I, we can know Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we can know truth is by engaging in his word. Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. I think the psalmist really clarifies for us what truth is. Look at Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord, look at this, the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servants, a great reward for those who obey them. Truth can be known. Jesus himself is truth, and we can experience and know Christ, and we can know him quite well. Our mission here at Glad Tidings Church, you heard me talk about this over and over again, is to do what? Is to develop biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ. Here's the reality, and this is what I want you to know this morning. As your pastor, I wasn't called to stand up here and tell cute stories but I was called to teach and preach the pure word of God with conviction. My, I can tell you, I, I, I'm not a great storyteller, so I'm not gonna stand up here and tell a bunch of cute little stories. That's not what my calling was. My calling was to preach and teach the pure word of God and to do so with conviction. Cute stories may be fun, but these stories don't have the power to transform our hearts, our lives, our community, our home, our church. It is the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, that has the power and the authority to transform. So I want to let you know this morning in every venue, whether it's with our kids, whether it's with our teenagers, whether it's with the adults, 
We are committed to this mission of developing biblically sound believers, people who know and understand the word of God so that we can better reflect the attitude and the character of Jesus Christ. And folks, in a world where people are being bombarded with lies, there is a hunger for truth. People are searching, people are looking, people want to know what is true and what is not. And we have the answer. The answer can be found here in the scriptures in the word of God, and we need to point them to the answer. So here's the call for us, church. Let's stand out. Let's be different from the world. Let's proclaim the only thing that has transforming power, saving power, and life-giving power, and that is the word of God. One of the ways that we're going to engage in this battle for our families is we have to teach the truth. We have to proclaim the truth and nothing but the truth. We need to point people to the place where they can find hope, where they can find answers, where they can find satisfaction, where they can find peace, where they can find healing, and that can all be found in the very living word of God. Cute stories won't transform somebody's hearts. Great events, though they are fun, won't transform somebody's hearts. They might bring somebody to Christ. They might introduce them to the the body of Christ. But at the end of the day, it is the word of God that has saving, transforming power. And folks, my commitment to you is to continue to preach and teach with conviction the pure word of God. As a church, we also want to help you, parents and grandparents, to disciple your kids to know Jesus to love Jesus, and to serve Jesus. That's why we, we give you the resources that we do. That's why we, we, we do whatever we can to equip you and resource you because we know that, that for the most part, you're the one that's gonna have to answer the questions that your kids have. You're the one that's gonna have to disciple them. You're the one that's gonna have to work through some difficult times with them. And so we wanna resource you and equip you to be able to disciple them, to teach them to know the truth. Number two, how are we going to engage this battle church? We need to live lives that reflect Christ and lives that are worth modeling everywhere. Listen to what he says to Timothy, or Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, but don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Paul said to Timothy, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Here's the reality, Christians, are often under the microscope. People, the world, they are looking for us to make mistakes. They're looking for something to scrutinize. So let's not give the world something to scrutinize. Instead, let's live in a manner where when they see our lives, when they look at how we interact in difficult situations, they say, I want what they have. I wanna experience what they are experiencing. I wanna be able to respond in a manner like they are responding. And so let's not give them something to scrutinize. Instead, let's reflect purely and perfectly the character of Christ so that they long to have and experience what we have and what we are experiencing. Our lives should be a godly example for everyone. Let's not let the world set the standard for how our kids and how our grandkids should live. Let's get ahead of the game and let's be the Christ-like examples that we want people to follow. Paul says this, he says, first of all, you need to be an example in your speech. Church, we need to choose our words carefully. 
James talks a lot about the tongue and taming the tongue. The tongue can, can be powerful. It can encourage, it can edify, it can build up. But that same tongue that can speak blessing over one person can curse another. And so we need to make certain that part of living a godly example is making certain in our speech that we choose our words carefully. Secondly, we need to be an example in our actions. Here's the reality, and, and parents, you know this, our kids, they mimic everything we do, don't they? Uh, they watch what we do, and, and they see how we interact, and, and, and they mimic our behavior, or, or they say what we say, and, and sometimes you hear something come out of their mouth, and you're like, where did you learn that? Well, I heard it from you, Daddy. I'm like, great. All right, let's have that conversation, okay? And, and so they mimic every, you know what I'm talking about, all right? We, they mimic everything that we do, and so we need to live for them in our action, a godly example. Um, just... A, a short little story. Some of you know about this. Some of you saw it kind of maybe pop up on Facebook. Not that big of a deal. Probably um, exasperated a little bit um, just in my telling of that story. But a few weeks ago, um, my, my two older girls are playing softball right now. And if you know anything, if you know me or you know anything about the Holt blood, there is a competitive side to us um, that, that I've had to sanctify over the years. I've had to kind of put into check. And, and our kids, uh, Eden and Iris, were playing softball just a few weeks ago. And, and uh, there were some calls that didn't go the way I thought they should go. And, and uh, if, you're, if you're judging me right now, you've all been in that spot, okay? I know you have. We've all been those parents who, who thought we knew better than the umpire. And just so you know, I don't think I would ever want to be one of those umpires because parents are critical. I'm critical of them. And, and so, but, but we were at the game. And, and, and so on our way home, they, they ended up um, losing that particular game on our way home. I was talking with my girls and you know, having the conversation about, oh, if we'd had this one call, you know, could have won or could have gone a different direction. And uh, I, I found that my daughters then were having that same conversation, like, oh, you know, they made a bad call. And I realized, wait a second, I didn't set a good example for my kids. And so I had to go into Eden and Iris's room and, and it didn't seem like that big of a deal. It was all in fun anyways. I didn't yell at the umpire or anything like that. So um, I didn't chew them out. I didn't have a conversation with them, but, but my kids saw how I was reacting to the situation. And because of that, they were mimicking my behavior. And as a result, I had to go into the room and I had to mimic a godly behavior in front of them and ask for their forgiveness and talk with Eden and Iris and say, you know what? Daddy's not perfect. I made a mistake. Shouldn't talk that way about umpires and, and shouldn't be that, that frustrated. I mean, they're only seven and nine anyways. It's not that big a deal. But, but the reality is I mimicked behavior or I, I, I demonstrated behavior that was probably not very godly, but I also had an opportunity to mimic behavior or demonstrate behavior where I asked for their forgiveness. And they could see, you know what? We're not perfect. We do fall short. But I'm thankful that we serve a God who is forgiving and I'm thankful that I can go to my kids and say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I do fall short. I do make mistakes. But Eden and Iris, will you forgive me? And what a great conversation that was. What an excellent opportunity. I'm not telling you to go mess up so you can have those conversations. But, but we need to make certain that we demonstrate godly behavior because we know that our children are watching and they will mimic that behavior. We need to have an example in our love. We need to teach our kids and show them what it looks like to love God and what it looks like to love one another, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. 
Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to love God than it is one another because we, we're oftentimes in close contact with one another. There's things that frustrate us, things that annoy us, but we need to show our kids what it looks like. If we're gonna win this fight against an enemy that wants to destroy and kill and bring chaos into the home, we need to show our kids what it looks like to love God vertically, but also to love one another, even when it's hard. We need to give an example in our faith. We need to have a strong faith in both good times and in bad times. We need to show our children that despite what we're walking through, no matter how difficult the situation, our God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our circumstances do not dictate who God is. Instead, he is the same. He is faithful. He is good, regardless of whether I'm walking through a a victorious time and a joyful time or a hard time. He is the same. And we need to give an example in purity as well. We need to live pure and innocent lives for our children to mimic. So here's the question. Is my life, and you have to answer this for yourself, is my life worth mimicking? Is my life in private and public one that is worth following? Is your life one that you would want your children or your grandchildren to mimic? If not, then go before the Father Ask for forgiveness, get clarity, get wisdom, get direction, and begin to get your heart right with the Lord. Number three, how are we going to engage in this battle, church? We need to be the best encouragers on the planet, always seeking to build others up. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, verse 13. He says, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Here's the reality in our culture today. We are experiencing, I believe, an encouragement drought in our culture. People, especially kids, are oftentimes being beat down and discouraged. Media is portraying a message that certain lives don't matter or have no value whatsoever. Friends oftentimes will tear people apart with their words, even other friends. And the breakdown of the home oftentimes contributes to this encouragement drought. But here's our role, church. Let's step in, let's fill the gap, And let's be people who encourage and build one another up. Let encouragement and building others up become our default. Instead of speaking words of negativity over somebody or instead of being frustrated with somebody, let's be people that that, that when what our default becomes is to speak words of encouragement over others. Think about it for just a moment. What does encouragement do for you? How do you feel when someone speaks words of encouragement? It makes you feel good. Makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like, okay, you know what? I do have worth and I do have value. And I think I've said this before, but I don't think there's anybody on the face of this planet that will say to you, you know what? I don't need another word of encouragement. I've been encouraged too much. I don't think that exists. That isn't a reality. We cannot over-encourage So church, let's step in, let's fill the gap. On Sundays, encourage the kids around you. They may not even be your kids, but speak words of encouragement over them. Speak life into one another. Build each other up. Send cards to one another. Speak life over one another. One of the ways that we fight for our families is we find ways to encourage them often. So here's the question we have to ask very simply. How can I become a better encourager of those around me. If there's one place where there should be over-encouragement, 
It should exist inside the local body of Christ. We should be the best encouragers on the face of the planet, not just on Sunday mornings, but when we're out there, when we're in the grocery store, when we're in line at, at, at Subway or, or in line to get gas, um, especially if you're wearing GT attire, okay? You know, that's, that's important too, but um, just kidding. We need to represent Christ well, and we need to represent the church well. We need to be people who encourage, build up, because it will make a difference for the kingdom of God. Here's the reality. We don't know how one single word of encouragement can alter a person's life. Your single word of encouragement that may have been random, that may have been to a complete stranger, could have been the very word that they were looking for, they needed to hear, that will alter their entire life. So be sensitive to when maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak that word of encouragement. Maybe you're pumping gas and, and there's somebody next to you and you decide, you know what, I feel like I need to say something to this person. Don't be shy, say it. As long as, as long as it is an encouraging word and that will build them up. How can I become a better encourager? Put this into practice now. Number four, I'm almost done. How are we gonna fight this battle, church? Number four, we need to be willing to get messy and be uncomfortable to make others feel welcome and be comfortable. Yeah. This, this might be the hardest one for us to engage in. L listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says this in verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church lay their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. And I love how the New Living Translation says it here, throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Sometimes it may mean getting physically messy and the reality is God has called us to that. I don't know, is there a picture up there? Um, no picture, okay, that's okay. Um, if you were with us about a year ago, and, and actually Tyler and Morgan Titimer, they're teaching our kids right now, if you wanna ask them about getting physically messy, ask them about the Human Sunday, okay? A year ago after sports camp, um, because their, their teams lost in sports camp, they were the great winners of becoming Human Sunday. Some of you were a part of that. Some of you saw that. It was on Facebook, and, and, and they literally were physically messy, but I think more often than not, we need to be a church that is willing to step not into just the physical mess, but the spiritual mess of people's lives if we want to win this fight. We all know kids, teens, and adults that are in a huge mess right now, or maybe they have a messy past. And here's the reality, church. We weren't called. Christ did not call us to avoid the messy and only minister to the clean. This wasn't Jesus's approach either. Remember in scripture, and there's all kinds of opportunities, there are all kinds of examples in the gospels. I can think of two, uh, Mark chapter five, the demon possessed man. For remember, uh, demon possessed man, Mark chapter five, he was out of his mind, he was living in the graveyard. And here's the reality, uh, in that particular day, in that particular age, he was considered unclean because of where he was, because of what he was doing. Uh, he was unclean, he was untouchable. People were not, to, were not to go near him, but what did Jesus do? Jesus approached him. Jesus spoke life into him and his life was changed. Jesus didn't say, you know what, you're unclean, I'm gonna avoid you and go to somebody else that's a little bit cleaner to minister to them. No, think about the, the man 
who had leprosy. Leprosy was an unclean disease for a Jew, for an Israelite. If you had leprosy, you were oftentimes excommunicated. You had to live outside of the camp. And if you were to come into the camp, you had to announce the fact that you were coming. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And so that way everybody could scatter and keep their distance from you. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't avoid the leper. He doesn't doesn't wait for him to announce that he's unclean. What does Jesus do? And I love what he does in this miracle because some miracles he just speaks a word and a person is healed, but the leper, what does Jesus do? He touches him. He touches this man who is deemed religiously unclean according to the law, but Jesus touches him. He did not avoid the mess. Instead, he stepped into it and he brought transformation into the person's life. Effective discipleship and fighting faithfully the fight for our families will require that we step into the messy, hard, and uncomfortable situations in order to bring them the only hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. Folks, this is hard, may not always be fun, but it's what we're called to do, and it's eternally worth it. Part of entering the mess is being willing to step out of our own comfort zone in order to pour into others. Maybe working with kids may not always be desirable, but it's one of the most important roles we have here as a church one of the best ways that we can help to fight this battle for our families. It may be hard, but it's worth it. If we're gonna win this fight for our families, we need to be people who are willing to give up of our time to step up and step into the lives of kids and teenagers and adults who desperately need Jesus Christ. If we don't, somebody will. And who will that person be? Let's step in. Let's fill the gap. Let's be people who encourage. Let's be people who step into the mess and offer them the only thing that will change and transform their life, and that's Jesus Christ. How is God calling you? How is he calling me? How is he calling us to step out of our comfort zone? And to what mess is God calling us to enter? And I would encourage you, be obedient. Do what he asks you to do. Finally, number five, and I'll end with this. Probably the simplest one, but probably the one that's neglected the most and that is pray daily for the home. If you're here today and you're like, well, my kids are out of the house, or maybe you don't have kids, or or what, and you're thinking, well, what what is my role? What can I do? You can be an encourager, absolutely. Whether it's here on Sunday morning, kids that are running around here, you have an opportunity to speak life into them. Don't, Don't tear them apart, encourage them, build them up. Remind them that they are valuable. Remind them that they belong to Christ. But what's another thing you can do? You can pray daily, for the home. This might be the most important weapon at our disposal when it comes to the church fighting for our families. Why? Because we're fighting a spiritual battle and it cannot be won with carnal ways of fighting, but we must engage in this spiritual warfare and prayer is one of our greatest weapons. The reality is a praying church will see results. Listen to what Paul says. Let me end with this in Ephesians 6 verse 18. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. This is just after he gives all the instructions for the armor of God um, and and what you're to put on, clothe yourself yourself with Christ is essentially what Paul is saying. But then he ends with this in verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So here's my question to us, church. 
Now, this message is a little bit different. I told you it was on Mother's Day. I told you it would be today, a little bit different than what we've been looking at as we walk through Philippians. But here's my commitment, or here's my question to us as a church. Will you commit with me to teach the truth, to live godly lives, to be the best encouragers, to get messy and uncomfortable, and to pray daily? If you would commit to do that with me, would you all stand with me this morning? We're committing to teach the truth, to live godly lives, to be the best encouragers, to get messy and uncomfortable, and to pray daily. Why? So we can be victorious in the fight for our families. I want to say it again. There is probably no more important fight that we can engage in. The fight for our families is absolutely worth it. It's worth our time. It's worth our investment. It's worth getting messy. It may be hard. It may not always be easy. It may be frustrating at times, but it's worth it. It's worth it because our children matter, not just to me, not just to you parents, but our children matter to God and their eternal souls are at stake. The reality is someone or something will disciple them, will influence them. What will that someone or something be? If we don't do anything, if we don't pray, if we don't teach the truth, if we don't get messy, if we don't encourage, if we don't fight, then the world will win out. The world will influence our children. Social media and all forms of media will disciple and shape and form our children if we don't engage in this battle. This really isn't, hey, I'm gonna take it halfway, engage in it 50%. This is either I'm in or I'm not. I'm either gonna be all in, I'm gonna be a person who encourages, I'm going to be a person who, even when it's hard, gets messy. I'm going to commit to pray. I'm going to teach truth. I'm going to do my best. The reality is we all fall short. We need to make certain that we're living godly lives, but there will be moments when we're critical of the umpire, when we shouldn't be. Those moments will exist, but we need to demonstrate. We need to reveal. We need to show to our children what it looks like to live godly lives, lives of integrity, lives that reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Parents, we have a responsibility to fight for our kids at home. We need to be the primary disciple makers of our kids. We need to teach them truth. But church, we have a responsibility for the children and the teenagers, not just that are here in this church, but that are in this community, that are in this county, that are in surrounding areas. We have a responsibility. We can make a difference. I believe we can. I believe we can see change and transformation happen. We need to lead the way. We need to teach truth. We need to live godly lives. We need to be the best encouragers on the planet. We need to pray daily and we need to get messy. And when we do, when we do, I believe, I really, truly, truly believe that it will make a difference for eternity.
the kingdom of God. Will you see immediate results? Probably not. It's a journey, it's a process. The more we encourage, the more we pray, the more we get messy, the more we bombard our children and our teens with truth instead of lies, the more that we say yes to Christ and are obedient to him, I believe will make a difference. Would you close your eyes with me? I just have one simple question. All of you have already stood and committed saying, you know what? May not be easy, but I'm gonna gonna engage in this battle because it's worth it. It may require more time. It may require a greater investment. It may require more of me, more of my family, but I'm gonna engage in this battle because it's worth it. It's worth it because eternity will be impacted. The souls of our children and our grandchildren, the children and grandchildren of this community are at stake. And so by you standing, you are saying, I'm committing to engage in this fight.